Have you noticed that we are officially halfway through the year? (laughs) And I say that not to freak you out, but to invite you to be well and truly present. Hello, hello out there. It's Shara Carruthers here, and you're listening to the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast, an exploration of the simple, complex, and everyday ways that yoga shows up in our minds, bodies, and world. And you know what? A couple of years ago, I realized this pattern that I was constantly living out around my relationship with time, and in particular with the time of the year. And I'm sure you're going to recognize this. I'd say things like, wow, time flies. Can you believe, you know, we're already in June? Or, oh man, can you believe we're already halfway through the year? Or Christmas is just around the corner. (laughs) And I realized that that wasn't an authentic expression of how I really feel about time at all. It was just a learned behavior. And so I'm endeavoring to let go of that pattern and to embrace every day as a gain and not so much as a loss. And so all that being said, the time that I spent, that we spent with our guest today was most certainly a gain. So Michael Domenicor joined us for his second appearance on this podcast, and man, was it delightful. Michael is the founder and director of the Yoga Institute in Sydney, Australia. He's a clinical psychologist, a yoga teacher, and a longtime yoga practitioner. And his yoga sensibility, which I just really jive with, is influenced by his studies with TKV Desikachar in India, as well as years and years of practice. And his approach to teaching yoga philosophy, in particular teaching the Yoga Sutras, is actually one of the things that he's well known for around these parts. And so last year, I took a six-week course with him where we focused on diving into this question of the nature of consciousness. And it's a question that I find incredibly interesting. And so we talk quite a lot about that in this conversation. And as I mentioned, it's a fascinating subject. And and it's something that, in my mind, it gives everyone something to contemplate. And I think that Michael does an amazing job of making these complex ideas accessible. And the fact that he's a longtime friend of Lucy's meant that this chat was so relaxed and so juicy. And in fact, it is our final episode of season two of the podcast. And so after this, I'll be taking a little break and I'll be back later this year with a new focus and a whole lot of new ideas and questions and conversations to share. I'm I'm making the decision to dive deeper into this idea of living like you love yourself and exploring what it means and exploring how it looks and sharing tools and wisdom to inspire you to find your own way of loving yourself and of loving your life. And so I want to thank my dear and beautiful friend, Lucy, for joining me this season as co-host. And I want to let you know that this will not be the last that you hear from her. I plan to have her back as a guest in future episodes to share some of her unique wisdom and her amazing life experiences. So please stay tuned for more information as I'm going to be sharing more about that in the months ahead. And so with all of that said, I invite you to enjoy this beautiful conversation that Lucy and I had with a wonderful Michael DeManicor.
Hello, hello everyone, Shara Carruthers here. Very excited, as always, to be back. This time with, well, as always, I suppose, with Lucy Carnani, my co-host, and this time with our guest, Michael Domanicor. Hello, both of you, how are you? Great, thanks, hi, Shara, great, doing really yeah. well. Yeah, excellent. And I am doing very well too. Wonderful. Mike, um, Michael, you, I think you're our first guest that we've had twice on the podcast. Oh. Yes. Wow. So that's kind it's, of, uh... <laughs> this is a special, this is a special podcast, really. I know the last time we spoke would have been more than a year ago, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I think I've got lots of questions about, you know, at the, at the time that, at the time we spoke last, I know that the, the pandemic was happening yeah. uh, and we were kind of starting to be able to get to be in a space where we could kind of look back and see where we'd come from or how far we'd come. And I wonder kind of, you know, where are you now, you know, relative to what you've learned from this experience of the Mm -hmm. pandemic about yourself, about the work that you do about the world? Um, I think that, you know, at the risk of, uh, you know, kind of sounding almost cliched, an early days cliched, because I think a lot of people are saying this at the moment, and that is I learnt a really big lesson, which was almost like a culmination of what was happening in my life prior to the pandemic. Mm. And the pandemic came along and kind of really helped me to reconsider what I'm doing, quite specifically around simply doing less. Mm. So... You know, a couple of things I'd like to say about that. Number one is there are certain aspects of the lockdown in particular, let alone, you know, all the suffering that people went through. Mm -hmm. The lockdowns in particular, being in the privileged position of living on the northern beaches of Sydney, where we were in lockdown on our LGA, our our local government area, and Mm -hmm. enjoyed it immensely, absolutely enjoyed it immensely. Um, I was able to get out and at least be with you know, my people, my friends, my community, my family, so long as we were in this area and, you know, mm. obviously with restricted numbers, but I spent a lot of time in nature. I spent a lot of time doing things because I had the time and I kind of didn't have a whole lot of other options. So I've got to take out from that, which I'm, I'm still trying to integrate into this phase, this post kind of, if we can call it a post-pandemic phase, we're not sure mm. what to call it yet. It's hard to know, isn't it? And it's how to integrate those really wonderful experiences into what's emerging as a as kind of a more busy life again. And I don't know that I've done it particularly well yet, mm. but one thing I I have done is um, is I haven't ramped up my busyness to pre-kind of pandemic levels. You know, I'm busy, sure, I'm busy, but I'm not crazy busy. And I make sure that I've got time to do things uh, for myself, to, to run a schedule that works for me. And, and again, I, I do feel like I'm in a fairly privileged position to be able to do that, not just because of where I live, but because I'm self-employed and, you know, all the pros and cons that go with that. Sure. Uh, I've, I've, I've got a lot of flexibility and I'm trying to integrate the learnings of having space to connect with nature, to connect with community, um, you know, in a really meaningful way. And so I'm, I'm kind of now just trying to integrate that into uh, a busier life. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? All the, the yoga that we practice uh, and it almost feels like having had that space, like you're saying, mm-hmm. gave us time to actually really practice it, like to get exactly. to really to really get a sense for, 
you know, what it was all about. And um, yeah, I find that really interesting. I think I've definitely seen that. And that's been in my experience too. Mm. And I feel in some ways like that time for me, at least um, I feel like there was, I was doing even a lot of even more deep inquiry in that time, Mm. you know, and, and I mean, what I'm thinking about now is the fact that I, in that time, I did do um, um, that course with you on the yoga sutras and which I really enjoyed. And, you know, we were talking about, we were diving into some really deep questions in that course. Mm. And, you know, um, one of the things that, that excited me, perplexed me the most was just this conversation about consciousness basically the whole conversation or the whole course really for that um for that uh, i suppose section or module or offering was about um about the nature of consciousness yeah and i wonder because as a yogi i don't feel well i don't know if i'd call myself a yogi but as a student of yoga i should say it's not the kinds of question that or the kind of discussion that we have very often and i wonder from your point of view what do you think the value of talking about the, the nature of consciousness is? What can you tell us about this as a as a um, inquiry for students or practitioners or even teachers of yoga? Uh, uh, it is such a great question, Shara. Um, mm-hmm. Look, I, I think it's one of those things where, for me, it, part of it is just pure enjoyment. I enjoy mm-hmm. having those conversations more than I do having conversations about things that are not particularly important and relevant in my life. You know, um, you know, I, I enjoy sport, for example. You know, I do enjoy sport, but I don't particularly enjoy, you know, kind of conversations about sport. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I'm not dismissing the value of, you know, I guess what we could loosely call small talk. I'm not dismissing yeah. the value of that. I think that's a very important part of, of human relationships. But meaningful conversations, I just simply enjoy talking about things like that. Yes. Having said that, uh, you know, I did give another class uh, to uh, a group of students on Tuesday evening, another online class, and a particular aspect of, you know, this whole question around consciousness came up from the Yoga Sutras. You know, what's re- what you know of is the Ishwar Pranidhana, but in the first chapter, the whole section of surrender to, you know, something, however we want to conceptualise that. Mm. And without going down that rabbit hole, you know, what comes out constantly for those conversations is, look, it, it's enjoyable and it's interesting to have conversations about these things, but when it's all said and done, we don't really know what we're talking about. And I say that even from the perspective of someone who's really reasonably well-educated in this, you know, kind of in this area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I and, and like-minded people, we can have intelligent conversations. So when I say we don't really know what we're talking about, I'm not saying they're, they're kind of inane worthless conversations but when it's all said and done we're doing our best to have meaningful conversations about something that I think is is, for me at least is beyond our grasp to really fully Mm -hmm. comprehend what we are actually talking about and in in one sense you know that's a bit frustrating Um, Mm -hmm. but in another sense well let's talk about it because that might help us have a better understanding and gain different facets of of the whole area. Don't you think though that um by saying having conversations about it might help you find the meaning of consciousness for you and that that's why 
<laughs> whatever totally that agree. means for you, yeah. whatever that means for you, though. Yeah. Look, I totally yeah. agree. And, and the reason I say what I've said is because I've been having these conversations for a very, <laughs> for a very long time with a lot of people. And, and I think maybe I'm closer to an understanding of what it's perhaps not. Right. But not that much closer to clarifying what I think it is. Can you give a bit of a, uh, an arc? Like what did you used to think it was? Yeah. And where um, did you travel? Um, I think, it, I don't know, it's one of those things where, so let me put this into context. When I, when I did my, my, my psychology degree, so we're talking back in the mid-1980s, Mm-hmm. And I did an honours in psychology and my honours thesis was on what was then called the mind-brain identity thesis. So, you know, to put that kind of, you know, that's a fairly technical term that came out of uh, philosophy of mind and as that merged into, into psychology as science, was really when we talk about the mind-brain connection and what's the relationship between the mind and the brain it just happened to be given that formal title of the mind-brain identity thesis. What's how do they how does the mind identify with the brain, or how do we identify those things? Mm. So, you know, it's kind of like a very um, uh, a very technical area of what's the relationship between the mind and the brain, or or now more broadly, I would not even talk about the mind, let alone consciousness, in terms of brain function because I think mind is something that is a whole body experience Mm. and we tend to focus our attention on brain functioning like as though it's uh, and I think a lot of activity related to mind does go on within the brain but I also believe now that it's way beyond the brain I think a lot of mind activity goes on in the heart a lot of mind Mm. activity goes on in the gut and in fact a lot of mind activity goes on right through the whole nervous system into every single cell. Mm. So for me, it's been a big shift um, from an approach that really focused on, on brain. And I, I, I think that the field hasn't really moved on that much in the sense that a lot of the focus of this in terms of um, mind function and studies of consciousness, a lot of it is coming out of the neurosciences. Yeah which is great and you know a lot of really interesting things are coming up but I think it's too narrow I think if we're focusing our attention on neurophysiology and and, uh, neurochemistry with a particular focus on the brain it will help us to you know gain some insights I think it is helping us to gain some insights but I think we're looking you know we're trying to look at the solar system by looking at the moon or looking at one particular planet Whereas the solar system is much bigger than that. If we focus our attention on, on one particular organ, namely the brain, then I think we're going to miss so much. You know, that's part of the problem of reductionism, you know, that we go down that, that try and get it down to that baseline. So that's been a big shift for me. And does that come through your, your uh, practices and study of yoga? Uh, yes. To be honest, more my study of yoga rather than my practice. <laughs> um, although I think it's, it's, it is part of my practice, but I'd have to say it's much more part of my meditation practice rather than my asana practice, which, of course, we know is all part of yoga practice in general. Mm-hmm. So very much a part of my meditation practice and my, um, my development of my connection with my breathing 
and because we could talk all day just about that, about breath and, of course, breath and consciousness and how that gives us insights into mind states and consciousness states and how breath and pranayama and anyway, we... <laughs> can, I just say, can I just say as a caveat though, when I say your yoga practice, I mean all of that. Oh, I that don't yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I know that yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. So, mm. so that's why I'm saying it's coming more from my uh, meditation practice rather than my asana practice. Mm. Yep. Mm. Um, knowing that it's all part of yoga. Differentiating. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it has been from my studies in yoga, but then that also uh, expands into my uh, my study, my readings, and, and and these conversations of a field that's broader than the yoga teachings. You know, into the area of consciousness teachings in my studies in psychology and mm-hmm. how I you know I did my best to see the insights that say Western psychology and even neurosciences and even one of the Western philosophies around the nature of consciousness and how that might be related to the yoga teachings. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's, it's interesting. You know, I just from what you've said about this, um, just in this conversation, it's opened up my thinking about this in some ways, because I think it feels to me like when, when science is asking the question, what is consciousness? Mm-hmm. They are it's science. And I can, I'll just speak for science. Science is seeking an answer to that question with, mm-hmm. from some, from maybe some understanding that there is one. Yeah. And yet it sounds like what you've said, which feels right to me <laughs> mm-hmm. is that this is a question that may not have an answer, but the point is in, ans- in asking the question. The point in, is potentially in, is in what comes out of asking the question. Yeah. And then that immediately takes me right back to the class with you and how just asking this question, there was all kinds of interesting things that people that came, that came mm-hmm. up in the class that people were talking about in terms of their experiences in life or what they've learned and all the rest of it. And I realized that, yeah. Maybe for me, at least, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should stop holding, holding on to that question so tightly, you know, and kind of hold it in a way that, that is a lot more about living than it is about finding some sort of definitive answer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I I wonder, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's sort of, it's, uh, it's not about, it's the seeking, which is being in relationship with consciousness yeah that is yeah and interestingly enough Michael you've mentioned and Shara you or Michael you referred to in this conversation um starting it from the the yogic um teachings around Ishvara Pranidhana Mm. but that's a that's kind of sort of outside us whereas isn't consciousness like in us as well as outside uh oh here we go here we go here we go (laughs) yeah um yeah is is there look i I don't even know how to summarize a response to that that's that just kind of just pushes the pushes the button and you know it, it all just explodes such a great kind of question or comment there um because it's about our our the way our minds work, we conceptualize things as inside and outside. Mm-hmm. You know, because our mind, the way that our minds work. Sorry, let me just pause for a second on the use of yeah. the, the use of the word mind, right? And that is just so long as um, 
you know, we may, we don't need to be in agreement, but from where I'm coming from with the use of the word mind, you know, it's a very generic term as well. We don't even really know what we're talking about in terms of mind, let alone consciousness. So we can talk about the, the Yoga Sutras, the philosophy talks about this, and Western psychology talks about this, and that is processes that we can observe, right? So we, we know that we think, we know that we're, and we, we can be aware of our thinking, but what does mind actually mean? What does that encompass? And if you put, you know, you've got various schools of thought within the field of both fields of philosophy and psychology, let alone in the urine sciences, we don't actually have a consensus on what the word mind means. So when we're using the word mind in a conversation like this, we're presuming that we're even in agreement that we understand what that word means. And, mm. and my, my experience is we don't know what that word means, but we're using it constantly because it's a reference point. We kind of know what we mean and it's a, it's a useful part of the conversation. But I just want to, you know, my, my perspective is we're using a word where we don't necessarily have a common understanding, let alone any understanding of what that word actually means, let alone mm. consciousness. Yeah? Yeah. So well, if you had to give it your best shot though, what would it be? <laughs> um, look, I, I did say, know. If I was if you did know. It, if I did know, I always answer that in one of two ways. There, there could be something more recent that's come out of the neurosciences, but from my um, reasonably recent inquiries, is that a definition which I don't necessarily agree with? In fact, I, I, I emphatically don't agree with it. Mm. And that is in the neurosciences, a common definition of mind is the mind is what the brain does. Mm. Now, mm -mm. clearly, from what I said earlier, I don't agree that mind is about mm. brain function, that it's broader than that. But yeah. somehow it's this nebulous set of processes that the the, the body, and I say the body in relation to, you know, brain, heart, gut, the entire nervous system, every single cell, every single organ has some function related, uh, is some function related to mind function. Mm -hmm. So it's a collection of functions that are related to our, the way that we perceive our world, perceive ourselves and navigate our way through this embodied experience in this lifetime. So it's kind of like the operating system, if you like. But even that, I think, is still fairly vague. It's the operating system of the mind-body organism, just like the, you know, the operating system you might have of a computer or a smartphone or whatever that might be. It's the, there's an operating system there, and that's really what the mind is. But we can't pinpoint it. I can't pinpoint it much more than that. Mm -hmm. yeah, various layers of functioning, parallel functioning going on, um, and even processes that are going on that I would ascribe to mind, processes that are going on that we don't even know they're going on, an enormous amount. In fact, there's probably far more processes going on related to mind function that we don't know are going on than those that we do know about. Mm -hmm. And we often ascribe that subset of processes that we're aware of, we often then say that's consciousness. But consciousness is our awareness of our own thinking functions. That's what some would say. I think consciousness is much bigger than that. Like being conscious to do something. I talk about being a conscious communicator. Is that what you mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Yes. There's, With that analogy that you used that uh, that it's a sort of the operating system, which I, I know is overly simplistic, but let's yeah. just go with it for now. Um, do you think the, the more that you seek and explore and are in dialogue about the meaning of consciousness, the more you upgrade your system? <laughs> yeah, I think we do. And, and in one sense, um, it just reminded me, you know, the, what, what, what you're saying there is that this is actually a path of yoga. So we talk about yoga practices and we've already, you know, we've already, we're, we're in agreement here that yoga practice means much more than asana. It includes the whole gambit of, um, you know, asana, pranayama, meditation, mantras, visualization, relaxation, you know, all of those things and, and more. It also includes inquiry. So swadhyaya is a practice and that is a practice that I think can be really well facilitated by these kinds of conversations because it invites us to reflect on the meaning of these things. And, and, and in a broader context than what I would describe as the practice of Swadhyaya is also the whole tradition of yoga that would be described as jnana yoga. Jnana mm. yoga trying to reach that state of consciousness through study, through knowledge. And I think a lot of that actually can come from these kinds of conversations. Yeah. So yes, it's upgrading the system. But we're <laughs> enlightened now, are we? <laughs> <laughs> actually that was a question yeah that um, ashara and i were talking before the call to prepare you know a lot of when i first came to yoga a lot of people said oh you practice yoga to become enlightened or mm -hmm. you meditate to become enlightened or you um you do it to create self-realization mm -hmm. is is what can you just speak to the relationship between those words and consciousness um, yes, and I think it also comes back to what you were referring to earlier about that which is inside us and that which is outside us, you know, the, con the concept of consciousness almost like being a personal thing, uh, although I know you know that, that there's also another aspect of consciousness which is anything but personal, mm. uh, and then something that's more universal. So I think that's the whole process, and if I was to summarise it, you know, on the two sutras that go straight to that point from the yoga philosophy, the second sutra, the first chapter, defines what yoga is. And basically, it's an upgrading of the thinking functions of mind. Right. And I'm quite specific about that. The chitta vritti nirodha uh, is not mind, it's chitta vritti. And chitta vritti is part of mind function, it's one aspect of mind function that Patanjali then goes on to explore further to describe what is meant by chitta vrittis. And then nirodha, often people talk about it as the stopping of those, whereas I think it much more as being an upgrading of them, an upgrading of the mind function that then enables us in the third sutra, the sutra meeting following, to realise our true nature. And it's referring to drashtu. And drashtu is, in my understanding of it, is self-realization is the, or that sutra rather is referring to coming into a full experience not just a knowledge but a full experience of the nature of our being and that's to realize oneself or self-realization and in my view that's synonymous with enlightenment we come to the know the nature of our own existence and by doing so we come to know the nature of all existence 
which is another expression of consciousness. Does that sound wow, reasonable? I love that. I yeah, love I that. do too. I do too. <laughs> I there's 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 I've got a there's a number of questions that are floating in my mind. The first one, just based on what you just said, is. I'm trying to figure out exactly how to put this. And it's, it's, it, it, it relates to us being prepared for, um, for that realization. Mm. And I, I'm not quite sure, like what's there for me is, um, you know, is, is the average person ready to, for the truth or ready for reality and sometimes I think about my practice of yoga and the practice of yoga being a, a being a long game, and it is the purpose of that long game getting us ready? Mm-hmm. Or I mean, I guess there's some people that you know. It, I don't know. What do you got? What do you got to say on that? Have you got any thoughts about this idea of us? You know, the blinding light of truth and our readiness for it. Um, yes. Look, I think the heart of that really, or yeah, certainly a major feature of that is that certainly according to yoga philosophy, and I haven't attained that state, however, I certainly believe in this through various experiences that I've had in more recent times, that it's about letting go of my sense of self, Mm. right? And that, if you'll pardon my language, scares the shit out of us. Yes. Because, you know, everything from, you know, whether it's, you know, preconception, whether it's genetic memory, whether it's through um, through gestation, the moment that we come into, uh, in, into this world, that once we reach the age of somewhere between 12 and 24 months, Somewhere around there, we start to realise ourselves as an individual. We start to develop our sense of individual self, and then that progresses through childhood into adolescence, and all of the all of the um, the processes that go on to develop our sense of individual self. Who am I? You mm-hmm. know, and then that goes into young adulthood, and that continues right through adult life. And you know, many of us keep coming back to that question. You know, who am I? What's what's my role? What's my purpose? What am I doing here? And then to bring that to the point of saying, well, everything that I've known about myself up to this point in time, you know, maybe it's all wrong or maybe it's all distorted. Maybe there's something of truth in it, but it's not who I really am. And so to let go of that, which all of the traditions talk about as, you know, I don't particularly like this phrase, but it's a phrase that people use and I'm sure people understand is about the death of the ego. Mm. So it's about what I prefer to, describe as the dissolution of the attachment that we have to our sense of self and who we think we are. And that's scary. Mm. That's really scary. So in answer to your question, are we ready for it? Are people generally ready for it? I I don't know. I think it takes either um, uh, an extraordinary experience, a really extraordinary experience to, to see things from a completely different perspective. Or it, it's something that is something that we're working towards as something progressive, like you described there, Shara, mm-hmm. as, a, you know, as a long-term project, that we're kind, of, we're kind of getting ready for that. 
But I think that there's, a, there's a, almost like a paradox in that. And the paradox is that I am getting ready for that. So my sense of I is getting ready for that. Yeah. And you've almost got kind of like a built-in booby trap. Yeah, because it's the me who wants that. And that my belief is, whilst I still live with it, mm. <laughs> working on it, is <laughs> that attachment to my own sense of self, let alone my own sense of self-importance, that's what prevents us from letting go into the experience of our true nature and what we could describe as the nature of the divine or the nature of the of the a higher consciousness, which is I'm an expression of. And again, if I could just go back yet again to what Lucy was saying earlier about that distinction between individual consciousness and a greater consciousness, that distinction is the problem, in my view. Don't you think there's a... Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, what were you, you going to say? We, we can actually see everybody. We can see each other on video and Michael was going to say something yeah. else. I yeah, in, what were you going to say? Go ahead. Um, I, like I was saying a moment ago about the, the use of the word mind, that we're presuming consensus understanding on what we mean by that where my experience is we don't have consensus we just use it you know it's kind of like a term as part of conversation that we know what we're talking about we don't really know what we're talking about and mm. i would say the same with consciousness so but i mean a little bit more specific than that and that is the the word consciousness or being conscious is used in different contexts and in some yeah. contexts we actually do know what it means but then we use the same word to describe a state of awareness or a potential state of awareness, and we don't know what it means. So part of the problem is the use of the word in different contexts. Yeah, I think part of the problem as well is just words. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> just words in general. I think part of the problem is saying that it's a problem. I don't think it's a problem. I think it's just a, it is, it is what it is. And if we all agree with the yeah. premise that you've, um, that you've made, Michael, I think we're good to go. I don't think we have to, to dwell on that too much because otherwise, I mean, I, I've had so many conversations over the years of, of going down rabbit holes about the problem with language, you know, mm. and, you know, yeah. so maybe let's, can we agree not to spend time there and accept Certainly what you've said um which leads me just to an observation to pick up on what shara was saying sorry lucy i can't agree on that just what <laughs> i can't agree on that oh can't you okay no. <laughs> i'm okay with it <laughs> We're can i say why i can't agree yes yeah, please sure. do yeah because maybe i don't either <laughs> the reason is because um I think we would all agree that some sense of what we're talking about here is something that we experience. It's an ex something that we experience. Mm -hmm. And I think once we have that experience, that experience is, is beyond language. And then we try to describe it and talk about it using language as best we can. So I think there's an opportunity here to perhaps, and I, I, I think I have some sense of this, I have experienced something of this, but what can we actually communicate with each other in silence? As well as using words as best we can. So I, I am happy to agree that um, words, if we're not going to, if we're not, if we're going to let go of the idea that it's a problem, I would say at least there are limitations around it in our ability to put into words, into language, mm. something which is an experience that is actually beyond language anyway. 
Yep, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. So may I pick up now with yes, what Sharon? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yep. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> well, just talking about it being a a uh, a journey or a or a um it taking a period of time. I don't want to say a lifelong journey because everybody's mm -hmm. going to be different and, and mm -hmm. will come to it in their own time. Yeah. Um, and that I think that the 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 yoga texts talk about this too, as a I mean the ancients be you know talked about the phases of life in the human experience. Mm -hmm. And so it's everybody will be different but for most people it will be the third or maybe the fourth stage of their life when they're ready to start to let go of mm. self capital oh sorry small s self yeah I yeah would agree with that for sure yeah so mm. um and I, I think i i do i mean i was sort of joking about the the language not being a problem mm. problem in the sense that I think when people come and listen to each other talking about these, have these meaningful conversations, the by hearing somebody else's experience, it can give you stimulus mm. to then go back and be in the inquiry for your own experience mm. or to reflect back on experiences if you've had and said, ah, yeah, that resonates for me. I, I, I understand that feels true mm. for me. Yeah. I can Whatever. feel a whole lot of emotion just welling up in you saying that, Lucy. I think that's, uh, I think that's really is where it's at, mm. you know, and that is we have these conversations, we, we kind of fumble around with them and that's okay, but it then gives us the opportunity to reflect on how that resonates with us and then, you know, other insights and perspectives from another person. Yeah. And if I could just add to that too, Lucy, and... and um, uh, I suspect you, this might really resonate, is imagine that we could have those conversations, exactly the same process that you're talking about, and we can have those conversations and we slow them down. And that, that opportunity for resonance and reflection happens in that liminal space, in the silence, even within the conversation, let alone our reflections after the conversation. I just could not agree more. As you, as you both know, yes. um, and as many of the listeners know, I coach in conscious communication skills. And one of the mm. biggest gifts that you can give your quote unquote audience, the people you're talking mm. to, is pausing. Mm. So, uh, you know, this, this silence perhaps is a pause on steroids where it's the gift of time for the recipients to process what's being said and to take it another step, not just to process in the quote unquote brain, but in every part of the mind body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting in the, in the, in this world that we live in, even just the, anything that's relating to slowing down or stopping or adding space there's almost this immediate discomfort with it because we're so addicted to filling space with stuff, sounds and whatever else. Yeah. And so, yeah, we've, we've slowed our conversation down and I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm being with it and it's, you know, I'm noticing how it's, how it's resonating in my own body, mm. you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, as Lucy says, it's a gift. Yeah. It's really beautiful. 
and then we can ramp up and get excited in the conversation again so kind of maybe yeah waves and yeah you know but uh um that you know the mind wants to do its thing and you know there's yeah. just that opportunity there how can we enter into this perhaps awareness or this experience of the nature of consciousness in the silence mm. we're learning the in the kind of the gymnastics of the of the thinking processes this is leading me this is bringing it back to the second beautifully back to the second question that i wanted to ask mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. um Firstly, it, there's kind of a two parts to this. One is that, do you think we'll ever know? Do you think we'll ever really know what consciousness, you know, is and what it really is about? And also, do you think that there's a value in not knowing? Sometimes we, we refer to, you know, consciousness or all these things that we can't explain as the mystery. And I wonder if there, if you believe that there's um, a purpose to the mystery. And when we talk, even when we just talk about this idea of slowing things down and silence and all the rest of it, for me, you know, I'm, I'm in part asking it because that experience that I've even just had with you, both of you just sitting here being a little bit, you know, a little bit slower, it felt like it was making space for the mystery. And so I wonder, I don't, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, both of you, I suppose. Um. I hope this doesn't go off on a tangent, so feel free to pull me back. That's all right. But when you ask the question, will we ever know? You know, it's very um, human-centric. Mm. And, of course, that's what we are. You know, we identify as human, and this is our experience. Yeah. So will we as humans ever know the nature of consciousness? I, I don't know the answer to that question. My suspicion is probably not. Let me qualify that because that suggests that there aren't some humans who don't already know. And I think that would be incredibly dismissive. Uh, I think, you know, there may well be some humans who already do know. Yeah. And are they able to communicate it in a way that we understand? Well, I, I don't know. We're back to the language issue and, and, and the readiness to be able to hear those kinds of concepts and, and that they resonate with us. So I don't want to be dismissive of the possibility that there are humans throughout history and amongst us who perhaps already do know, but we can't grasp what they're saying if they're saying anything. Yeah. But for the rest of us, uh, will we ever know? I think it's going to take a major paradigm shift. I do not believe, and I really um, believe this emphatically, I do not believe that we will know this through our current paradigm of scientific inquiry. Now, as science emerges and we go through what are described as paradigm shifts within our methods of inquiry, we may well then come to an understanding. But, I, but in our current methodology, of scientific inquiry, which is where is most of the focus that's going on to understand the nature of consciousness, I don't believe we will. Mm. I think it's going to take a very significant shift beyond our current method of inquiry. And I'm talking about technology, although I've got no idea whether technology would be part of that. But mm. the method of inquiry does not really enable that uh, encompassing of that mystery that you're talking about because it's almost always a reductionist model, which is also almost the antithesis of embracing the mystery. Yeah. 
yeah. Can you speak a bit more to that about it being a reductionist model? Um, to a reductionist model uh, in, in, a, in scientific language would mean that if you want to get to know something better, then you want to reduce down the variables so that you can look more carefully at what's actually going on at the heart of it. So you're reducing it down to the absolute fundamentals. And, you know, one way of looking at this is, to, is in, in terms of physics is that to understand the nature of matter, we're reducing it down to smaller and smaller particles of what, you know, you know, Newtonian physics was, we looked at atoms and then we're looking at subatomic particles and we're getting smaller and smaller. And the smaller we get, all of a sudden, the whole framework completely disappeared. And all of a sudden we realise we're now looking at energy. So if we continue down the path of looking at reducing our, under, not reducing our understanding, expanding our understanding by looking at smaller and smaller um, elements of what makes up the whole, then we're missing the whole. Mm. You know, a, a, an example that's often used in this, and, and my apologies if it's, if it's uh, a little bit too much of a cliche, but if you've got a bicycle and you want to understand the nature of bicycles and you pull all of the parts of the bicycle apart, you, you lay them all out on the, uh, on the workbench and you've got all of these different parts of the bicycle and you look very, very carefully at the wheel and the chain and the handlebars and the frame, et cetera, et cetera, and you look at each part very, very carefully, you'll have no understanding of a bicycle because it's only a bicycle when it's in its hole and it's only in the function of the bicycle is only really understood when you're riding the bicycle. I mean, sure, you can understand it by looking at someone else riding it. So the more you, we break it down, we get a better understanding of the parts, but less of an understanding of the whole. And consciousness is not about, for me, it's about the whole. It's not about the parts. Does that make sense? Does that help? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that helps. That's great. So, so That's what great. that means is to truly um, sort of develop the understanding of consciousness, it needs to be done with an expansive model as opposed to a reductionist model. Exactly. Yeah. Mm, but exactly. There's, there are people who are investigating that, like through psychedelics and things like that, aren't there? Yes, there are. Absolutely. There are. Mm. <laughs> yes, and, there I mean, are. It seems to be a, 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 yeah. a much more prevalent topic in the you know, in the, in the field at the moment. Um, Absolutely. And fascinating. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I think a really, a really useful phrase just to bring in here is uh, a phrase that I understand was coined by Stanislav Brock, mm. and that is whether it's psychedelics or holotropic breathwork or, uh, or, you know, or meditation or whatever it might be, is that we're talking about non-ordinary states of consciousness. Mm. So non-ordinary meaning outside or beyond the way that we normally think which is a paradigm shift, yeah? And those non-ordinary, some, you know, used to be referred to as altered states of consciousness. Mm. Non-ordinary mean this is the way we ordinarily think and the way we ordinarily think, I don't believe we'll ever understand uh, the nature of consciousness. Mm. Within the, the, the confines of the mind that's trying to understand it and, and, you know, at the risk of misquoting Einstein, um, but, you know, he's, he's well-known um, quote for saying, we will never solve the problems using the same thinking modality that created them. Mm -hmm. We need to be thinking outside the box, outside the square in 
what Stanislav Grof refers to as the non-ordinary states of consciousness. So, and, and you know, people have experienced that through psychedelic medicines, through holotropic breath work, through extra other types of extraordinary experiences, through and sometimes even spontaneously for no apparent reason. But you know, mm-hmm. there is, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, I must say, uh, just to, to focus back in the world of yoga, um, the times that I have experienced what I feel to be a closer um, connection with universal consciousness mm-hmm. has been through yoga, through meditation, but specifically yoga nidra mm. uh, practice mm. and um the IRIST, working with the mm. IRIST practices, uh, which of course, you know, are, come out of uh, the non-dual teachings of mm. Tajmi Shaivism and, and so forth. So uh, it's, but, but there's, for me to get to that point is typically mm. on a, retreat, a silent retreat, mm. so which is non-ordinary thinking or consciousness or non or mm. certainly non-ordinary functioning you know yeah. to withdraw mm. from world and not be responsible to anybody not even to say hello mm. to or anything you know there's a, quite a lot of um creating the right environment to get to that state yeah. Yeah. um yeah. and so that would be the the non-ordinary consciousness i guess or non-ordinary yeah. functioning yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what you just said there, Lucy, reminds me of what Shara said a moment ago, or, or the question rather, you know, are we likely to get there? Well, not only in terms of um, our, our current method of scientific inquiry, I don't believe we will get there, but also our current way of living. So, you know, Shara was asking about, you know, the ordinary person, you know, are we ready for this level of consciousness? Well, in the way that we're living our lives, I think the chances of that happening is very, very slim. Because the way mm. you described it, Lucia, you know, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, all of the all of the traditions, all of the wisdom traditions of the world, the indigenous peoples, and and you know, right back, including you know, indigenous peoples of, of Europe and all over the place, <coughs> and that is, we have these extraordinary experiences of non-ordinary states of consciousness in those periods of silence, in those mm. rarefied opportunities where we take ourselves out of the. Um, the demands, and I'm not just talking about the practical demands of business, I'm talking about the demands that are placed on the mind. Mm. We're forced to think about things um, to stay alive, basically, to keep the ship running, you know, to keep things going. So it's my experience has been the same. It's in those rare times where we, where we become quiet and we take ourselves perhaps on some kind of a retreat, whether it's a formal retreat or you know, just time out for ourselves. And this is part of what I was saying at the very beginning about uh, the last two years. You know, that was such a a wonderful, there were aspects to it, I should clarify, that was such a wonderful experience because it really helped be in touch with these kinds of things that we're talking about because we had space. I had space and time, Mm -hmm. which is what you're talking about. Mm. I love that you've brought this back to this idea of living yeah. Because, you know, in, in many ways, that's kind of what we're exploring here. Um, but also it's a recognition of the fact that um, that these all of this that we're talking about, all of even all of our own understanding of it comes out of living. Mm-hmm. And the way that you've even described this idea of, you know, of of um, creating space or creating these spaces of silence um, 
when I hear that, I think about this concept or this idea of living like you love yourself, which is the Mm -hmm. name of the podcast. And I think about, I think about that as a, as a practice Mm -hmm. being a part of, um, you know, a part of what I would like to think of is living like you love yourself. Mm -hmm. And so as we're kind of wrapping up our conversation, Lucy and I have started asking our guests, um, that question, you know, what is it, how do you, what is it that you do or how, what does living like you love yourself mean to you? And how is, is it activities? Is it a way of thinking, being, how would you, how would you define it for yourself? Mm-hmm. I had a separate train of thought going. Oh, did you? <laughs> a comment that I, but I think, I think I can go for it. See if I can have it integrated. Uh, and that is, um, you know, what Lucy's talking about, the retreat experience, those deeper states of meditation, mm. uh, the yoga nidra, what we've mentioned, you know, things like psychedelics and holotropic breathwork. For me, the absolute key to that is not those extraordinary experiences, mm. but our ability to integrate them back into uh, integrate them back into our lives moving forward um, mm. so that, you know, quite, without over-dramatising it, so that our lives are now different. And that's my experience of, uh, in answer to your question of living like I love myself, is that's been quite an extraordinary journey for me in the last, you know, probably two or three years, uh, a whole lot of circumstances that have brought me to a place, <coughs> pardon me, where um, Having had quite a number of extraordinary experiences, both in, both incredibly challenging, painful, and uh, and beautiful, it's how am I able to integrate them into my sense of self love, hmm. and how does that change my life? And that's what I'm working on. I, you know, I think those who know me well would perhaps or have commented actually uh, that you know. I'm, there's something different about the way I am now and the way I live now, my presence now than it was even a short time ago, you know, a couple of years ago. And that's all about living. Not like I love myself because there's something, something not quite not resonating with me in that. Yes. Yeah, sure. Living as I love myself hmm. because I'm learning to, and I, and I'm hmm. really deepening into that sense of, of self-love. And that's tr- that process is is kind of transforming in my life, and that's been a journey. That's been a real tough journey, and and you know it's um, a challenging, difficult, painful, and beautiful journey. Wow! I appreciate that you've given us all these wonderful adjectives to describe the journey because I think often people think, often people do think that it's um, simpler than it, you know. Than it, than it actually is. And the fact that you've said that it's challenging and painful and, and beautiful, um, to me, it's just really inspiring and motivating. <laughs> so thank right. you. Right. Thank right. you for that. Um, and thank you so much for this conversation. It's been fantastic. It's been, we've jumped into all kinds of great stuff. It's just, yeah, it's been really wonderful. I appreciate it. It's been my yeah. pleasure. Yeah. Enjoyed it immensely. Thank you. We're back. Hey, Shara. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. How are you today, Lucy? Good. Good. Had a excellent uh, a couple of uh, what is it about ten days since we spoke to Michael. We've had mm-hmm. had a lot of time to reflect on what we discussed with him, haven't we? And it was quite a great conversation too. You know, we we had 
both of us and including Michael, or I guess I should say all of us um, have had this kind of mutual fascination for this question of consciousness. I think that question in, in as many podcasts as we've done, I think that was the deepest that we've gone into that into a discussion of something like that. And and we kind of you and I both in our in our um, discussions before having Michael or, you know, in our in our talking around um, asking Michael to come and have this conversation. I think we kind of anticipated that we would have a conversation like that. And that was probably probably part of the draw. I would love to hear from you about what insights. I mean, you and Michael have been friends for quite a while and and um, and you've been privy to many, many of his teachings. And so I wonder like what came up for you in this conversation? What were what new insights or ideas did this conversation engender for you? If, if any at all, <laughs> if any at all. <laughs> um, well, like you said, we have been talking about this for a, for a long time. So over 10 years now, you know, yeah. Michael and I've been in relation, various sort of relationships, mentor and mentee and, and a teacher particularly, you know, he's a scholar of the sutras and mm. I've attended many, many of his um, programs on the sutras and they're always different. Um, and I always learn what I'm ready to learn, I guess, mm. uh, when I come to them. Yeah. And uh, and also just in multiple, you know, over coffees and lunches and things like that. I mean, it's actually hard for Michael and I to get together and not sort of somehow make our way to a conversation of this nature. So what exciting is um, that? I love that. Yeah, but um, a few, a couple of things that really stood out for me was I particularly loved his um, under the umbrella of the talk, you know, the discussion about the nature of consciousness was how he described or how he interpreted the sutra, the the sutra uh, two and three from the first chapter, mm-hmm. and uh, the the. Languaging, if I remember correctly, was um, Sutra 2, which is Yoga Chitra. I can never say it easily off the top of my tongue. Yoga Chitra. Chitra. <laughs> Chitra Vritti Naroda. My apologies to all the Sanskrit <laughs> scholars out there. Um, is the upgrading of the thinking functions of the mind. Mm. And I just love that notion of upgrading because, you know, we're all in a constant state of change. And, um, but the sense that every time you come back and you reflect upon this or you spend time in conversation about consciousness or universal consciousness, you are upgrading a little bit more, you know, it, it's, um, you know, it's an, it's a, it's a forward journey every time and a growth, um, opportunity. So I love that. And then, Mm -hmm. I won't offend people by trying to say the third sutra in Sanskrit, <laughs> but his English translation of it was to realise our true nature, mm. um, which is really the crux of why I spend so much time um, both in conversations but also in my practices mm. um, coming into what I think of as coming into relationship with universal consciousness. Mm. And... Um, and, and and I think you asked the question at one point, you know, are we ready to know about, are we ready to know the truth about consciousness? We being, you know, I guess there's the, the general population and then there's the yoga world and, you know, whatever. Um, and Michael's response to that was only if we're ready to let go of small s self, mm. which is exactly why I do this 
this the, all of these practices and you know Richard Miller is uh, you know written and taught extensively about when self falls away and um, and so I, I you know as often is the case in many conversations it's about remembering things as a as a factor mm. as a because of being in conversation about them yeah. and and I felt it was I guess you know strengthening maybe my upgrade as from that conversation was two steps instead of one yeah. <laughs> because it was turbocharged by uh, your and his contributions maybe but yeah mm. I love that I love that I love um I love that that he, you know, he put that um, in particular Sutra 2 or 1-2 um, in those terms of upgrading as well. I'm glad that you brought that up, actually, because sometimes the way that that Sutra is um, translated feels a bit more like a contraction than an expansion. You know, mm. it's it's stopping or it's ceasing or it's, you know, all sorts of things instead of this idea of upgrading. And I really like that. I sort of felt that that, you know, I'm all about empowering empowerment and about, uh, you know, about expanding our understanding of ourselves. And so I think that 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 definitely struck me as something that was um, inspiring as well, really. And in some ways I love, you know, I, I love translations of the sutras because every time I hear a different translation of the sutras, it it gives me like a different way of looking at it or a different window or lens through which to see it. And so for me, I thought that was really, uh, really powerful as well. I think for me as well, like we, you know, actually share it. So can yeah, yeah. interrupt there for a moment and say, yeah, sure. um, just to expand a little bit on what you said, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> expansion is um, you're right. I mean, most uh, translations of, um, Yoga Sutra 1.2 mm. is about kind of focusing inward or, you know, one I have in front of me here is about directing and containing the activities mm -hmm. of the mind. Yeah. And yet, you know, all the teachings and practices that I've done um, predominantly under the um, umbrella of the IRES teachings and Richard mm. Miller and, um, and non-dualism and so forth is mm. actually not sort of inward focus, but, at, but rather about, at, you know, expansion and of spaciousness yeah. mm -hmm. and um and so that interpretation that michael shared with us is more consistent with that yeah and it's yeah. where i get into a place of um can't you know my car i can connect more with my calm center mm -hmm. but but there's also no center and there's no periphery at the same time mm -hmm. so so Anyway, I just completely agree with you. <laughs> Yay, that's great. Yeah, it's, you, you know, I think the other thing about this conversation, even though, as I said from the beginning, like you and I went into this conversation with an understanding that it was going to be interesting and that, that we were perhaps going to be um, covering ground that we had all, you know, covered many times before. But I think there was, you know, when I'm honest with myself, I think that I think that I had a sense that if we talked about it enough, we could perhaps come up with an answer to this question of what the nature of consciousness is. Um, you know, and what I really got from this, uh, which is, you know, I, I, I definitely have to thank yourself and, and Michael for this, 
is 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 a is a deep sense that it's not about it's not necessarily about an answer to the question that it's about it's about asking it it's about asking the question more than anything you know because i do remember in the in the conversation um i had that sort of light bulb moment where i was like oh wait a minute that's right <laughs> and honestly mm -hmm. like from that i have been able to let go of a lot of the kind of internal twisting and turning around that question around what is the nature of consciousness and i feel a lot more free as a result of it because i've sort of let go of this need for an answer to that question and yet i'm still keen to keep asking it in some way you know and i, I guess it's it's like asking the question what is beauty in some ways like there isn't a way to answer it. You just have to see it. You just have to, you know, you just have to be with it. You have to feel yes. it, yes. you know? And yes. so I think, I think that really, that came from this conversation, just for me, that understanding. So that was, that was a brilliant moment, um, moment for me, something that's really stuck with me. And that for notion sure. that you have since then felt more free is mm. an upgrade perhaps yes indeed <laughs> indeed indeed. oh my goodness there you go and so of course to me i you know i i i do remember at some point asking this in the conversation but i would love to sort of revisit it with you because i'm sure you've got some beautiful insights about why do you think it's important for you know practitioners of yoga and teachers of yoga um and I guess just people in general to ask this question or to be with this question or to be in conversation around it. Wow, big question. Um, mm. I think it's important because, well, one another thing I took from our conversation with Michael is yeah. by having these kinds of dialogue, these conversations, et cetera, it brings you into connection with, um, with the universal consciousness Mm. So that's so. So setting the intention to know more, with the acceptance that you may not get "quote unquote" the answer, yeah. is going to, as I said, bring you on the path. You know, further on the path. And what I find, and this is speaking very personally, when I'm more deeply, um, you know, practiced or up to date with my practices, or being more regular with my. I mean, I'm very regular with my personal practice, daily practice, mm -hmm. but truthfully, some days it's, a, you know, a 20 minute and sometimes it's an hour and sometimes it quote unquote works and sometimes it doesn't and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so forth. But when I'm, I'm what I would, def from a felt sense, feel more connected to that which is bigger than me and mm -hmm. uh, this universal consciousness and I'm more less attached to my ego and my sense of, you know, body, mind, myself, body, mind, emotions, and so forth, I feel I can be so much more present for mm -hmm. my students and my clients. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, in fact, my, my, you know, my personal heart's desire, my mission, if you like, is to be present and to be wise and to be kind, yeah. but connected to source moment to moment. Mm. And so it's, it's, to have that be moment to moment you know, um, is, you know, the ultimate aspiration, meaning that I'm always in that state, uh, but then I'm also human. So, um, so the more I practice it, the more, and the more I, I'm 
um, yeah, the more I practice it, the more I can be experienced by my students and clients in that way. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. Mm. I really do. What about it's you, a, my friend? It's a, you, you know, from well, from what I've just heard from you, it's, a, it's like it's a doorway to presence in some ways, yeah. you know? I think for me, interestingly enough, it's about, it's about knowing ourselves. I think, you know, when, when I look at the yoga sutras and when I look at what they're, what they're telling us and what they're asking us, I think what you've said is the ultimate goal, really. And, but the day-to-day is really about self-inquiry. It's about, um, it's about tuning into or revealing um, our own individual nature. And so sometimes I feel like if we're asking that bigger question about the nature of consciousness, really what we're trying to do is understand ourselves better. And when we can do that, we can, we can connect better. We can be more, uh, more deeply connected to our Dharma, to the people around us. So I think we're kind of saying the same things just from mm. sort of two different, you know, two different ways of saying or two yeah, different angles, I, really. Yeah, except that, that um, what you've just said there, I think um, is, a, is a, a, a great point in the sense of to get ultimately to that state you and to let go, as I said, of sort of, um, uh, you know, body, uh, connection to body and, and mind and emotions and all that sort of stuff. There's a, there's a step process to get through that and you have to, you know, first be aware of how you are, like, um, mm. you know, and identify all of the, you know, behaviours and the beliefs and so forth that you have, which you have for so many reasons that have nothing to do with your choice. Mm. You know, they're, they're because of the country where you, you were born in, the family you were born into, the lineage that you've inherited, you know, and on and on, the society in which you operate, the, you know, the patriarchal society. I mean, like it goes on and on and on. Yeah. And so um, every time there is a, there is a sort of an, a, an un, you know, a, a letting go of all of these layers mm. and, and in the conversation about what is, consciousness it you can't help but start to identify those if that's what's getting you getting potentially getting in the way of you being in connection with that consciousness and at one Mm. with that so to speak yeah Mm. yeah so if you are a yoga teacher or student who has never asked the question what is the nature of consciousness uh i invite you into that into that conversation um, and, and I warn you that it might take you down a rabbit hole, a very interesting and, and, um, and enlightening rabbit hole, but I would definitely, uh, I would definitely recommend it because, you know, just for some of the things that we've shared here about the value of, you know, having that conversation. Um, yeah. And it just feels great. I mean, just for you and I to have had this short conversation again, yes. you know, I feel a sense of spaciousness. I feel a sense of expansion. I feel a, a greater sense of love. And, you know, there's also that line of argument that universal consciousness is love. Yes, and, indeed. Uh, yeah, and that's a good thing. So. Yeah, it is. 
Yeah, I think we probably could talk about this for a long time. Yeah, please. And <laughs> we could just continue. Um, and every time I have these conversations, I really love it. And so thank you so much, Lucy, for just, you know, um, for your willingness to dive into something like this that we know has no answer, but we could probably keep going on and on. And thanks for your gorgeous insights, too. I appreciate those. Those are going to really help me and in my practice of of living and being me and continuing to dive into these questions. So thanks. Yeah. And I say same, same to you. See you on the path.